Something's been heavy on my heart as our country teeters on the edge of something big, or at least it kind of seems that way, doesn't it? How should a Christian proceed? What does it mean to be the church, to be a Christian, when politics brings out the worst in us? We get angry all the time. We feel outraged. I can't promise to have all the answers, but I want to talk through some of my thoughts, and I want to hear your thoughts in response. Uh, What do you have to say? Let's roll. Uh, This is the Dangerous Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Williams. I want to avoid two extremes when it comes to politics with Christians, and oftentimes we're tempted to go to one side or go to the other side. The first thought that sometimes Christians might have, and I've had before, is that politics is just evil. It's just evil, all of it. And so to to get involved with politics implies that you don't trust God. You're not a good Christian because you're trying to grab the, the levers of power and control the system. And obviously, if you're involved with politics, you know, uh, obviously you don't trust God. So it's kind of like a form of political pacifism. So I've heard things like, if you vote, You're not trusting God to take care of you. And that's a line I actually heard from like my eighth grade English teacher who was like, we never vote him and his family because he's like, you're not trusting God if you vote. And obviously, I I don't see things that way. I don't agree with it. That would be like me saying, if you put on a coat when it's cold outside, you're not trusting God to keep you warm. Well, that's kind of silly, isn't it? You put on a coat. And you vote, not because you don't trust God, but because God has blessed you with that opportunity to have the coat or to be able to vote. And and you use God's blessings. Some people say, you know, politics is evil. It corrupts everyone it touches. A Christian should not enter politics. So don't be a politician. Don't work for the government. This, that, the other. But I don't think that's a biblical concept. Uh, Think about all the religious leaders, military generals, and uh, political leaders that Jesus, Paul, and others ran into when they did their ministry. Did they ever tell them to quit their jobs to become a Christian? Did Peter ever tell the Roman soldier in Acts to quit the Roman army in order to be saved? Did, uh, did Jesus talk to the various politicians and say, oh, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, get out of your job, don't do that? No, they never did. And I, and I think there's a reason for that. For these people, I would say that being involved in politics is an act of love. It helps us to serve those with no voice. It helps us to fight injustice. It helps us to protect the helpless, uh, for example, like the unborn. We serve by educating others and producing healthy, good members of society uh, from a secular perspective that, that allows for human flourishing. God wants us to develop culture. God wants government involvement that leads uh, people, citizens to lead peaceful lives. He wants evil to be punished and good to be promoted. God's not against those things. Then, Lord willing, 
uh, alongside the influence of the church, the church is right there as well. The church is growing alongside of society. Um, society is spiritually formed and educated to where all of this is done for the glory of God. We don't have to think of the secular world and the church as like two completely polar opposite things. And if you're involved in politics, you can't do anything spiritual. You don't do any spiritual good. Let's not think of things that way. Politics is done in a secular arena. Uh, that's true. But secular as a word does not necessarily mean sinful or awful. It just means that politics should not be a theocracy where our prophets are presidents and they have a direct link to God on a telephone. And it's like, hold on, wait a moment. Uh, I'm like Moses and I'm just going to go talk to God and then I'll come back with a uh, command. That's not how politics is done today. God has given us natural law shown through nature and our conscience alongside spiritual formation through the church in order to produce people who can govern in a reasonable way for the good of a particular country. So all of that's to say, that's one side I want to avoid. You know, politics is evil. Get out of it. Get rid of it. Don't participate. I don't, I don't think that's right. But what's the other side? And now I'm going to confess something. The other side is something that I tend to lean towards. It, it, it's fleshly. It's not good. And it's what often happens to those who are on the right, whether conservative Christians or conservative politically. And even though in this part, the left has uh, started to do this as well over the past couple years. So everyone does it. So we look at the world and we get impatient with God. God, we want your kingdom now, we say. If everyone else is grabbing for power, why shouldn't we? And so we start to worship the political process as our savior. We worship politicians, and I saw this with Trump, and we worship policies, and that's not the way it should be. However, when, when, we ask, when asked why we do this, we make it sound really pretty. This is what God would want, we cry. We just want his kingdom. That's all we want. We're just going to, uh, you know, use our means to get it done. In reality, we want our kingdom, not God's kingdom. We want our kingdom that's ruled by us with God being a facade for the justification that we just use God and the Bible and, and Christian this and Christian that just so that we can have the power. We're no better than anyone else. We look at God and we say, excuse me, we got it from here. We're going to create the world as we see fit. We'll do the job that you won't. And let me tell you, friends, the kingdom of God cannot be established by earthly means. So if our rationale, if our justification is, oh, we're just, you know, wanting to establish God's kingdom on earth, but then the way we go about it is sinful and fleshly and just like the world, God's kingdom is not what we're after. And how do we, how do we know that we're doing this. Uh, our hope and our joy comes from the results of every election cycle. 
So in 2016, if you were on the right, and for the first time in forever, you were happy. Wow, because we got a Republican in, in, uh, in office. Bingo. Idolatry. If you're in 20, don't. If you were in 2020, and then Joe Biden wins the presidency, and and now you're so happy because we have a Democrat in as a president. Bingo. Idolatry. If your hope and your joy comes from the results of every election cycle, versus your personal walk with God, your community through your church, your serving in ministry, such as, uh, you know, whatever it might be, serving in the church, serving your community, uh, working. If your hope and your joy comes from politics, you've fallen into idolatry and you've gone to this other side that I've talked about. So these are the, the two sides we have to avoid, running away from politics and worshiping politics. So what's the middle ground? How do we avoid both pitfalls? So I'm going to share some thoughts and some of y'all might disagree with me. And I want to hear you if you disagree. What do you think? I think as Christians, we serve in politics only as another area of ministry. It's just another place in our life to serve, use our gifts, evangelize, and enjoy the way you might serve at a soup kitchen or at a shelter, the way you serve in your job. And in fact, let's let's talk about that. Think of politics like you think of your job. <clears throat> your job should never consume you. However, you do need to have a job and you do want to be a good worker. Your job shouldn't control your life. But you should love others through it and try to be a good example. When your job doesn't go your way, you don't despair and lose hope. You know you have a life outside your job. You have your personal relationship with Jesus. You have your community in your church. And then you have your local community as well. So when your job doesn't go your way, it doesn't wreck your life because you're a well-rounded person. Now, obviously... The analogy between jobs and politics, it breaks down eventually, and I understand this. There are other jobs out there if you lose that one job. However, when it comes to politics, it's hard to move to another country to get a new political system. I get it, so the analogy isn't perfect. But I think this mindset helps us to stay in the middle. Politics is important. It educates, trains, punishes, encourages, and forms the citizen of a country to hopefully be good, productive, and a healthy member of society. However, it's not everything to a person, or at least it shouldn't be. Politics is not life. It's not all-consuming. It does not meet our deepest needs and longings or provide, provide a fulfilling purpose for a person. This is for other realms. So, so if you want to be well-rounded, you have family, friends, jobs, communities, such as the church, and obviously your relationship with Jesus. For me, politics is another way that I try to serve. It's another area of ministry, albeit a very large and important one. My primary identity is not my job or my political party. My primary identity is a Christian through the church. The church is my community. 
The church is my family. The church is where I worship, not my job or the ballot box. The church is where my hope is because through the church, God is recreating this world to glorify himself. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's happening through the church right now because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He's remaking all things. Through the church and not any secular process, God's kingdom come, his will be done. So that's all I had for today. So I'm going to move on to the devotional. And we are reading Ruth chapter 3. I'll read. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose woman you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he, he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Amen. Well, all right, that's Ruth chapter 3. What, what are some observations we can make from this chapter? I want to revisit the guardian-redeemer kind of system they had going on in those days. So as I said in previous episodes, the ancient nation of Israel didn't have like a welfare system. It, they didn't have a robust, you know, this, that, the other safety net for people when they were struggling. And so in order to make up for that, because it's a close 
knit community type mindset, the type of community that we don't really experience, unfortunately, in this country of America, uh, they had a guardian redeemer set up. And you had ways of your family taking care of you. And if you were poor, you could glean from the edges of fields so that you wouldn't go hungry. And all in all, the community looked after you, not the government. And I know we just talked about politics earlier in the in, in the episode. And I don't really want to talk about politics anymore other than to say, I think this is a promising approach to those who are struggling in any system. Instead of having the government have to provide because the government's so big and it's so busy and it takes a while to get any sort of traction or movement, we need to have community involvement, community answers where you go to your friends and your family, you go to your church, you go to local organizations, and we really need to be looking out for each other. And that's what was happening in the nation of Israel is they looked out for each other because they were all they had. And that's what um, that's what Boaz was doing for Ruth. At the moment, there was a closer guardian redeemer to her, you know. So he was like, "Hey, I will help take care of you. I will marry you as long as this other person who's a little closer to you. It's more of his duty than mine at the moment. If he rejects his duty, then I will fulfill it." And so through that way, uh, women were taken care of, the poor were taken care of, and I'm sure this helped with elderly and orphans and and all of that. Even though um, I haven't done a ton of study in this area, that's what I figure so that people would get taken care of. Uh, the next thing I want to know is uh, Boaz was a godly man. And so um, obviously the Lord is working through this situation. And so Boaz, like Jesus, was uh, some someone who helped Ruth out in a lot lot of ways. And so we need to be careful when we say, oh, be like Boaz or, oh, be like David or Peter or Paul. That's not what Bible characters are here for. Um, they're not saying, they and they would probably tell us this if they were still alive, don't go to them and be like, I want to be like so-and-so because they were flawed. They had their drawbacks as well as we do. But what we're supposed to do is through these stories, through the history and the different genres of the Bible, we're supposed to look to Jesus and see Christ-like qualities that we're trying to emulate. And you can see that through Boaz. So I'm not going to tell you to be like Boaz, but I'm telling you to see Christ in Boaz, and that's what we're trying to to go after, really, in our personal sanctification, the process of slowly becoming like Jesus. Then finally, uh, the, my last point that I'll I'll talk about is I love the godly relationship between Naomi and Ruth. Like if you're wanting to talk about a good team, a good back and forth, one's looking out for the other. Ruth is taking care of Naomi. Naomi is giving great wisdom to Ruth. I love that. So as you're reading this or listening to this, just really zone in there. And I think that's a blessing that we're, we are to have godly relationships. And we are to look out for one another, both family, friends, community, all of those things. Let's look after one another. So uh, that's all I have for today. I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll sign off. Father, Thank you for the book of Ruth. Lord, thank you for, uh, we see how much you provide for us through this story. 
We see how your lineage uh, that, that goes through David all the way to Jesus, Lord, that you include everyone, whether it's Rahab, whether it's Ruth, those who are on the outside, you love everyone. Your heart is for the nations, Lord. Um, thank you for a community that we can look out for each other, look out for the individual, for the small person. Lord, help us to do the same in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, that's all for today. I hope you have an incredible weekend. I'll sign off. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.